0: Hello and welcome to the Future of Freight Festival everyone. We are keeping this afternoon going off strong. We have a delightful conversation here with the one and only Chris Soltemeier, an operating partner at New Road Capital and a retired EVP from Walmart. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you Mary. I'm looking forward to today and spending this time with you.
0: I am pretty excited about it. Today, we are kind of diving into everything that we've seen over the last few years and kind of how to navigate it, you know, going forward. Before we dive too far in, let's get some background on you and kind of how you got started at New Road.
1: Sure. Well, Mary, I spent, um, you referenced Walmart. And so I spent uh, almost 30 years working in the Walmart supply chain division So different areas from replenishment to transportation to the fulfillment centers, distribution centers, all of those areas. Um, And then um, in 2010, 2011, took over as the EVP of supply chain for the company. And so did that from 11 till 17. And then in 2017, I retired from the company and wasn't really sure what I was going to do when I retired. And uh, kind of having grown up in Walmart, and prior to Walmart, I was in the military for a while also. So having grown up in Walmart, private equity is kind of a four-letter word and uh, not looked on very favorably. And uh, so I was approached from by a group in northwest Arkansas called New Road Capital about joining them as an operating partner. And I wasn't sure if that's something I really wanted to do. Uh, but really fell in love with the team at New Road. It was some former Walmart people also and saw what they really were doing uh, with startups and how they were helping startups. And they wanted to lean into the supply chain, transportation and logistics space. And so asked me if I would come alongside with them and work with them as an operating partner. And so I agreed to do that. And so that actually started in May of seventeen. So uh, believe it or not, I've been working with that group for about five and a half years in that capacity. And then outside of that capacity, I do a little teaching and then also serve on several private and public company boards. So that's kind of where I'm at now.
0: So basically, that retirement just led you to more work.
1: (laughs) Uh, My wife and I have an agreement. It's so many (laughs) days a year, and uh, she throttles me back every now and then if I'm exceeding that number. But I tell you what, it's it's been a lot of fun. I have really enjoyed working with the startup companies. It's been a blast.
0: It's like that entire different environment where, you know, it's just go, go, go and it's something that, you know, in an established company, you don't necessarily always get. So I bet that has to like scratch that nice itch.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. It's it's so different working with a private startup company than a public company. And uh if you really want to get your hands into something and really work with the team private is the way to go public is much more about governance
0: oh absolutely the private is you know it's more fun keeps it keeps it exciting um but one of the on top of exciting one of the kind of more unpredictable parts of the global supply chain we've seen um is you know throughout the pandemic everything changed on a dime We went from, you know, having a toilet paper shortage to just kidding, like we have all these other things and now all these consumer imports are coming in. So everything changed like seemingly overnight and you couldn't predict it. Um, How do shippers kind of going forward, because inevitably it's a matter of when it's going to happen, not if it's going to happen again, some other supply chain interruption. How do shippers kind of manage that risk within the supply chain space? to kind of minimize these disruptions caused, whether it's an economic factor, global, a global unrest situation, or anything like that that could impact supply chains? What's the best way for shippers to kind of mitigate that risk?
1: Yeah, I think it's a real challenge for shippers. And, um, and, and I'll kind of walk through what makes that, I think, so challenging. Uh, at, at Walmart, our focus was trying to squeeze cost out. So if you're trying to squeeze cost out, you're going to iterate and iterate and and make processes as efficient as possible. To do that, lots of times you have streamlined, streamlined. We talk about things like just in time inventory and things like that. You do all those. The problem is that when you get into times of disruption, then if you don't have some level of optionality, some level of flexibility some level of resilience based around several different factors like that, you're going to find yourself uh, in a very difficult situation. Uh, If I step back even before the pandemic, going back to some of the West Coast port situations that we had um, earlier in the 2000s, It led us from a Walmart standpoint to develop our import strategy around the Gulf Coast and the East Coast very extensively because we didn't just want to be reliant on the West Coast. And it's the same thing when I look at other aspects. It could be material handling company providers. It could be technology providers. We needed to have optionality. It could be our partners from a carrier standpoint. So All of those areas. Now, when you do that, optionality comes at a price. So as you're trying to streamline your operations and take cost out, as you introduce opportunities to overcome variability, then you are potentially adding cost because it's not necessarily the low-cost option that you need to have the flexibility to use. And so that presents a challenge, especially if you're in a low-cost retail environment you're introducing changes that cost more than the norm. And so that becomes an ongoing battle. But I know from my standpoint, we learned we had to have that level of flexibility. We had to push for that level of flexibility in the organization. Um, and it, it, we looked at it even as a strategy. So I'll give you another example, the Walmart private fleet. The Walmart private fleet is not the most cost-effective option when it comes to transportation. Using outside carriers typically is a more cost-effective option. But the private fleet gave us protection for those times where the market turned and we couldn't get the service levels we wanted or things like that. So we had to look at other things that we could do. And so we always had a private fleet, but we would vary the size of that private fleet based on the market conditions. And so those are all things that were done to enhance sustainability, give yourself options, because as you said at the very beginning, it is a changing world, and we are going to see constant changes.
0: Absolutely. It's like as we kind of get a bigger picture and it truly becomes a global supply chain, not just things that happen in our country or in certain states or certain regions here, we now have to pay attention to everything that happens like all over the world, which is very difficult to do. But one of the things you mentioned was, you know, coming up with different port port solutions during, I was getting my start in logistics when the last West Coast port union, when like things were sitting out there rotting and uh, I worked for a shipper at the time and it was a nightmare. Um, because that's where most of our imports came from. And as a result, they were like, never again. Never again will we have like stuff sitting in the bay waiting to get unloaded. And never again will we get caught like this because even though it's not the lowest cost option to set up solutions everywhere else, it it, without doing that, you don't get your product where it needs to go, meaning you're still going to lose money and you'd rather have something to sell that might get a little bit more expensive and eat into some profit, but at least you're still able to sell something. so I think that's a very important thing that you brought up is you know plan B might not be the cheapest, but it still makes sure that you have something to sell because without having something to sell, you're losing money and you're losing you're losing product.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I can remember one year where um, from a Walmart perspective, we had 800 stores that missed Easter. And literally, we had merchandise sitting where we couldn't get to it. And it affected, at that time, about 800 stores. And uh, those are those difficult situations that you learn. You better have backup plans. You better be prepared. Um, I think about the whole concept of what went on, to your point, during the pandemic earlier, what went on in terms of not being able to get product and stores being out of product, and everyone fine-tuning their supply chains down to a real just-in-time mentality of reduction, reduction, reduction from an inventory-to-sales ratio, and in fact, suddenly the pandemic hit, and we couldn't get, or Walmart could not get product, and so at the end of the day, and you mentioned it earlier, you've got to think about your supply chain as a shipper. It's about the customer. And you've got to have product to the customer, even if it means that product may be, to your point, sourced differently or sourced more expensively. Um, You've got to be able to do all of those things to ensure that you have supply. And so, yeah, I agree with you.
0: Absolutely. Because if you think about it, if your product's not on that shelf, well, whoever's product is on that shelf is going to do it. And, I mean, if they like it, they might make the full switch and bye-bye revenue. And that's not what anyone wants to do. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you can't afford to lose a customer because of those level of of out-of-stocks. And you, as a supply chain practitioner, have to realize that even though it may cost you a little bit more, you've got to ensure the service and that the service is there. So those things are just absolutely critical.
0: So the underlying theme that we've all kind of danced around today in various fireside chats or other conversations we've had in the hall is, you know, it is a it is a tough economic environment. That's not a secret. Um, and everybody feels it in one way or another. And so one of the things that, you know, shippers, carriers, everyone out there like is wondering is what are some of those key things that I need to think about and I need to plan for going into 2024, where I should expect to still be in a tight economic environment. So what are some of those kind of challenges and what are the easiest way to, I don't want to say the easiest way, but the best way to kind of overcome some of those challenges in the, in the tough economic environment?
1: Yeah, I think, it, I think it depends on who you are. So let me give you an example. Um, for a low-cost retailer right now, this is actually a good economic situation um, because consumers tend to go down market in difficult, tough economic situations. So many of the low cost, a lot of the dollar stores and, and the low cost retailers, this is actually not a bad market, okay? So, so from their perspective, it's not a difficult, it's a challenging situation, but it's a situation that they can capitalize on. Um, I think about it similarly from a carrier perspective. There are carriers out there right now that are actually investing in service and doing things like that that are going to help them as we come out of this economic environment, they're going to be in a much stronger position. Um, I think about it also from the standpoint of some of the startup companies I work with. I mean, everyone's focused on right now that we need to manage cash. We need to be sensitive to the environment. We need to be respectful of our customers and what our customers are going through right now. So everyone's looking at it, I think, from a little bit different lens um i was real interested this morning we heard on stage some comments of what we're seeing right now from an ocean freight standpoint and we're seeing ocean freight from an import side starting to pick up a little bit Mm -hmm. and so we know i know transportation tends to lead a market turn Mm -hmm. and one of the things that leads a transportation effect is what's going on at the ports and so if we are seeing a pickup at the port and that whole situation, then that lends itself to an improvement in, I think what we're going to see from the standpoint of freight movement. And that whole area of freight movement affects just about every person at this conference.
0: I mean, I personally could not be happier about the potential of increased freight and you know, a rebound in an economic climate. I think it can't come soon enough, but I know that me just wishing and hoping is not enough for it to come. So I like that you kind of have those leading indicators and things to watch out for, to be mindful of, to know like, okay, well, you only have to buy yourself a little bit more time. Um, so by speaking of buying ourselves time, <laughs> we are running out of time today, but if anyone has any questions on, you know, your thoughts on what's going to happen in 2024 or, you know, questions they might have as a startup, where can they find you outside the show?
1: I am here in Chattanooga, and we'll be around the conference, so I'm here in person.
0: Awesome, and I believe you guys have a booth down the hall as well, so if uh, you can't find Chris, the the New Road Capital booth is right down the hall. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Mary, I really appreciate being with you and having an opportunity to visit.
0: I It was a blast. Thank you so much.